Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. Oh, we got to watch our sound levels here. <laughs> And it's very sensitive at first. Now it's straightened out. Okay, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, I've livened up the chat room and uh, so that the people can log into the chat room. I see there's several people already in the queue. And uh, I'd like to get a verification that we are actually going out because uh, I didn't get sound coming from the station until four seconds before we went on the air. <laughs> Because they they had their mics mixed up again. They my mic was doing one thing, and then my hearing of the station was doing. <laughs> so I think we're we're going out. But if anybody wants to log into the chat room and and give me a cue as to whether we're actually going out, uh, looking here at the uh, okay. Uh, I'm getting some feedback. Uh, where's that feedback coming from? Okay, I see two people logged in with the last number 2111, which can't be. I'm getting total feedback. Are you getting that feedback here in the chat room? Uh, I may have to change my mic again. Let's see. Uh, I'm going to change the mic, see if that feedback goes away. I think it did. Okay, somebody, uh, kind of math? <laughs> Is that the way you say that? Uh, said loud and clear, but I was getting feedback, and the, normally they just give me one mic that I can that I normally use, but this time they gave me two. I chose one, and they gave me a double feedback. So anyway, I think we've got that cleared up, and but we lost one of our callers. We got another caller in there. So anyway, uh, so the chat room is live. We're going to start here in a second, and. Uh, I'll just cut out all this fumbling around. But uh, anyway, oh, they're back again. Okay. So uh, I guess the loud and clear uh, is okay. Uh, But anyway, so the chat room is going. Oh, one other thing that I'm going to do is send out a notice to everybody. I added an extra link. Uh, sometimes that was another thing that I noticed, and we're getting all the kinks out so we can start having gifts, guests on a regular basis and get some conversational interaction here. Uh, but uh, let's see here. 
Okay, so uh, there's actually three links in which to listen to the show. One's a short link that actually goes to the same place. Uh, the other one is one that has the date of the show in it. I had the date in the show before, but it was actually linking to the previous week, at least in one of the links. I had it in twice. And then there's another uh, freedomizerradio.com show, Keys to the Kingdom, and evidently you can go to that one. Anybody can try any of these links and see which ones works best for them and give me some feedback in it. But uh, anyway, we're going to send that out uh, to everybody on the network. Uh, send anyway, there she goes. As soon as that goes out, and I can see it's starting to come in, we'll close that so we don't get any more signals from my email. And we're getting good feedback on the, the sound, so that's okay. And uh, let's see here. I know we're starting out with a little bit of fumbling, but hopefully we'll get better and better at this and we'll not uh, have to go through all this. But uh, let's see. I think they've all gone out. And... Uh, yeah, they changed something in my email program so that now I can't button. I just push and it would go get all my emails. There we go. Now that live button doesn't show up. Let's just do this one. Okay, so the message went out. I know you heard my notice. So that's all closed. And so... Uh, Now, the only way to communicate with me if something goes wrong with the station is through the chat room uh, because everything else is turned off. Uh, Okay. So, uh, anyway, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And, again, we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. And we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew uh, 8 today. Uh, But I... Again, I always prelude a little bit of the show so that uh, people can uh, get this Matthew 8 in the context of Matthew. And, of course, this morning we did Matthew 7. It talks about judge, lest you be judged, judge not, so that lest you be judged. And then it asks the question, what judgment, what precedent, what set of rules do you base things on? And, of course, we have all kinds of rules listed in the gospel of the kingdom of all in the bible all the way back to exodus genesis and we see like i say in genesis of course the first command is to dress it and keep it uh whatever the ten commandments are they were in existence at that time because it's a part of the divine will the law of nature nature god which is immutable and unchangeable And it is what we call the law of nature, like I say, or divine will or right reason. All these things are the same thing. Our opinions of those phrases may vary from person to person, individual to individual, from age to age. But in theory, they're the same. They're basic, like the laws of physics. And even though we have, you know, the laws of physics where we say that time is of a... uh, certain element we know that time is evidently different on different parts of the universe where the gravity is denser the 
the uh, time passes at a different rate where uh, speed, as you approach faster, faster speeds, it changes time uh, and the speed of, uh, as you approach the speed of light. But even now they're saying, well, the speed of light isn't always the same. But the laws of physics are the same, but our perception of them changes. And, and what allows that perception to change to some degree is at least our personal right to choose. It's not an intellectual choice. It's spiritual choice. And so that being said, now what does that mean? How, do, how does that translate into day-to-day life? How do, you, how do you make a spiritual choice? We're so used to thinking with our brains, our minds, and our feelings, and our feelings are so subject to the world, the flesh, and the devil, we can't always see what we see clearly or what we see changes because of the position and our perspective and our, our way of viewing the world. You know, if you look at the world through rose-colored glasses, that's a famous, you know, metaphor, then you'll see the world differently. You know, a communist is going to see the world differently than a socialist, although some of their things will be very similar. But somebody who believes in an individual right to freedom and to make choices for himself and believes in the republic of the kingdom of God, which is where every man is returned to his possessions, every man is returned to his family, uh, he's going to have a different perspective. See the exact same event, but he's going to have a different perspective. Well, the same is true when you read the Bible. And early on, a lot of people have been trained to see the Bible in a certain context. They have certain verses that are memorized, and the meaning of those verses are ingrained in their thinking. You know, like if I even say the word government, you're going to think something particular. Maybe, you know, totalitarian government. Maybe you'll think of a more benevolent government. Just depends on how and where you live and and how you were brought up. I I heard in an interview today on Epoch Times, uh, a woman who is, I think she's a congresswoman in Colorado, at least she was. She also lived through the Cultural Revolution in China. And she was talking about when the Cultural Revolution began to take place, some of the first people that were murdered in the Cultural Revolution were the principals and teachers in the schools that they had in existence in China at that time. And they were murdered by the students, sometimes by the girl students attending the school. They could beat them and killed them, and it was okay. It was acceptable. And you think, well, how did people... This wasn't Hamas killing Jews or Jews killing uh, Palestinians. This was Chinese people in their own neighborhoods killing each other. You were often killed by your neighbors. Now, the, the Red Guard was also going around killing people. There was one instance where they, that she mentions where the Red Guard went to numerous villages, I think almost 10 villages, 
and killed over 300 people, including children as young as 38 days old, murdering those children at 38 days old. How do you get so barbaric? And and they're children of the same nationality as you are. And, and they're killing them, murdering them, stabbing them. How, how do you get to that state of barbarism? Oh, we... I don't even like to use the word barbarism because I know where the word came from. <laughs> the barbarians weren't nearly as barbaric in some instances as the Romans. The Romans were very barbaric in the way they treated a great deal of what we call barbarians. And, of course, the reason they call them barbarians is because of their language. That to them it sounded like bar, 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 bar. And so they were call, ended up getting the nickname of barbarians. They didn't call themselves barbarians. <laughs> that's something we've added on. And if you don't know these histories, that's okay. But what you really want to do is know people. And like I said this morning, you can't know people until you know yourself. And if you begin to know people because you know yourself, then when you read the Bible, you're going to have a different perspective because the, the Bible is about people and, and their relationship with each other. So constantly challenging the envelope that your own mind is contained in is absolutely essential to finding the truth. And we know, according to the Bible, if you want to believe this, is that the truth will set you free. And the truth is observed when you bring everything out into the light. And, of course, when you bring everything out into the light, everything in the dark parts of your own heart and mind, everything out into the light, it as well. And this is what a lot of people do not want to do, is they do not want to see their own error because they believe in their ideology. And their ideology is their idol. It's what they what they have faith in. Is what they think in their head. They are literally worshiping the tree of their own knowledge. So I'm, I'm throwing out these metaphors that you can. And those of you who've listened for a long time realize that the tree of knowledge is you. It's your brain. And part of your brain is in your stomach and in your nervous system, but most of it's up here in your brain. But that's the tree of knowledge, men standing as trees. And the tree of life is also the tree of light. And that is informing you as to what is true and what is not true, what is good and what is evil. It will inform you but not on an intellectual basis, on a basis of revelation, which comes to you in a spiritual knowing. But once you fall into the the flesh, into the mind that you have on your head, there's no telling where you'll go. You'll be killing babies. You'll be, you know, killing women, pregnant women, you know, to show you how degenerated you can get under a socialist state. Uh, especially when you introduce a drug factor. And I mentioned George Floyd this morning. George Floyd had gone to prison or at least to jail at least eight times. I think it was prison eight times on a variety of charges. 
one of the times he held a pistol to the stomach of a pregnant woman threatening to shoot her baby that wasn't even 38 days old, wasn't 38 hours old, it wasn't even born yet. Held a pistol to her stomach, threatened to shoot her in the stomach to kill her baby if she did not reveal to him where her boyfriend's drugs and drug money was hidden. That's the kind of guy that George Floyd was for a long period of time. And, you know, he he wrestled with his immorality and wrestled with his drug addiction. And But the reality is, is he was not a hero. And that doesn't mean that he couldn't repent and get better and all this stuff. But like I said this morning, George Floyd killed himself over a long period of time. And that day, he was not strangled by a cop. He was not bruised in the throat by a cop. He wasn't strangled by a cop in any way, shape, or form. He did not die of asphyxia. He died of fentanyl poisoning, which will cause you to feel like you can't breathe because it will start shutting down your lungs. And you, even though you may take a breath, you will not get the oxygen you need. And you will feel like you're suffocating and you will eventually fall asleep and your heart will give out and you will die. That, that's how it happens. And that's what happened. And, and we had videos of him resisting arrest, but they disappeared. Uh, I saw them myself and then they disappeared. And... You know, the, the trial was evidently a travesty. I didn't I didn't watch the entire trial or any of that stuff, but I know it was a travesty. But it's one of many. We have them every day. Uh, when you go to church, uh, they will have a sermon. If they don't mention the fact that you should not be coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority, if they don't mention the fact that it's not enough to say, Lord, Lord, but you have to actually be a doer of the word, that it's not enough to say you love Jesus. The evidence that you love Jesus is that you're keeping his commandments. And, and if they're not leading you in that way, which is a very narrow way, it brings you lots of freedom. It can bring you lots of joy and happiness. You know, blessed are those, happy are those, who seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So it can bring you lots of happiness, but it's a very narrow way. The perfect law of liberty doesn't mean you can do anything you want. It means that you can do what you do want that is righteous. If you choose to do what is not righteous, you're stepping away from the kingdom of God and you're stepping towards the kingdom where they behead babies and they kill babies 38 days old and they kill babies in the womb, which goes on every day. Thousands and thousands of people are killing babies. Thousands and thousands of babies are being killed every day all over the world. And uh, because of that, a vast amount of the human population that is sowing this wind of destruction of the unborn child is going to reap the wind of destruction in real time in their real life because 
as you judge, so shall you be judged. So anyway, we're going to take a look at uh, Matthew 8, and I'm going to come back and look at the chat room from time to time, and I will look for hands that are raised, and uh, might as well throw in uh, the parameters of uh, if you want to Okay, anyway, they're telling me about the different links. Okay, and I see more callers coming in. I recognize some of those numbers. But if you're a caller and you want to call or you want to call in and ask a question on the phone, the number to dial is 319-319-527-6208. So you can call in on that number, press 1, and I will see your hand raised up when I I look over there at the the studio. And then if you don't want to do that, you can ask a question in the chat room. You ask a question in the chat room, you got to push... Oh, those are private messages. Okay, so anyway, I'm back in the chat room. So if anybody... Uh, like I said, when I get a private message, it blocks the whole chat room. I have to shut it in order to see if anybody's adding anything in the chat room itself. But uh, if anybody uh, wants to ask a question, they don't want to do it on the phone by pressing 1. I just saw more people locking in. <laughs> uh, you can uh, ask it in the chat room, but put the word Gregory first and then a brief question. And then we'll we'll try to address that. And uh, this little section where I say all that, uh, we will cut out uh, in the final recording. But, uh, so, let's see where we're going to go. Look in Matthew 8. So, Matthew 8, you can go to preparingyou.com and uh, look up Matthew 8. And then you'll be able to see the footnotes and the side notes that will is part of our study because we're going to go all through the, all the chapters of Matthew eventually. But this chapter begins with uh, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. We talked about this briefly at the end of the show this morning. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord. Now what he was doing by worshiping him, he's saying that this this guy, this Jesus, is his Lord. If thou wilt, now he's asking a question, but he's saying thy will be done. If thou is willing, thou canst make me clean. And he believes that he can do this. Somehow he believes that he can do this. Now there's a lot of information going out about Jesus. John the Baptist has been talking about him. Uh, We don't know how much or how long. We don't even know really how long John the Baptist has been doing his ministry there at the Jordan River. We we seem to see evidence that he he was away in Parthia. We have evidence that he had to flee Jerusalem as a small child with his mother and that they somehow they were in in a inside a mountain. Somehow there was an opening in a mountain and they went in there 
and they had refuge in there against those guys hunting him. But when those guys who were hunting him and hunting Jesus died, and Jesus' uh, parents could come back, uh, evidently John the Baptist was somewhere else. At least all the writings I've come across seems that he was somewhere else, and it appears that he went to Parthia. Because according to the bloodline of Jesus and John the Baptist, which was very similar until the very last of, you know, the mother to Elizabeth, uh, that bloodline was also the bloodline of the rightful king of Parthia, blames the Magi. Now, this is only important to realize, probably, I mean, there could be several reasons, but one of the reasons is Jesus Christ is really a king. And we've just gone through two chapters of the decrees of the king. Whenever you see the word Christ, they're talking about the king, the anointed, the messiah, the messiah. And Jesus was just that. This guy, who is a leopard, is admitting that Jesus is Lord. But he also sees that Jesus has the power to make him clean. Now, there's several things that are going to come about. We're going to see that. I'll make references to it. We won't go into it in great detail. Before we get through verse 4, we'll touch on this. But verse 3 goes on and say, And Jesus put forth his hand. Now, he must have also walked forward because a leper was not near, uh, not allowed to even come near people. He had to keep his social distance. But so he put forth, he went forward, and he touched him. At the same time, he was saying, I will. I, I choose to. I will. Be thou clean. And it says, and immediately, and pretty much in the Greek, that's what it says, immediately the leprosy was cleansed. It, it, it began to disappear, which I don't know what stage of leprosy he had, but the source literally was instantaneously or immediately or within an extremely short period of time, he was being made whole and clean. And then Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Unto who? Unto the priests. So, I mean, looking at the syntax of the sentence, pretty much what was going on is that he was saying to go offer this gift and, and this offering was prescribed in, in Leviticus 14 to, uh, which states this shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing he shall be brought unto the priest and the priest shall go forth out of the camp and the priest shall look and behold if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper. So the priest has to do this. And this is just the first couple of verses of Leviticus 14. It goes on. There's all kinds of requirements that the priest has to do in relationship to this leper. And he shall break down the house and the stones of it. It's way over in verse 45. So there's a lot of verses, a lot of things going on there. Stones of it. 
and the timbers thereof, and all the mortar of the house, carry them forth out of the city unto an unclean place. Now, reading other historical documents of the time, uh, you know, I say historical documents, I mean documents that we have of the time, stories about the times, other accounts of this problem with leprosy, which may be in the Old Testament, may be specific leprosy. It could be other diseases as well that have this eruption of sores, but leprosy is a particular one. But it could be specifically leprosy. And we now have leprosy showing up in the United States because of all these immigrants. Some of them are bringing leprosy in. We have cases of leprosy in Florida. And we could end up with leprosy that doesn't respond to the normal antibiotics that kind of control it. But we could have all kinds of other plagues as well. But the the thing that I want to bring up is that the priests had to do all kinds of things, and it's pretty clear at that time, because of the kind of people that were in power, and this was the government, so the people in governmental power were Pharisees for the most part. There were also Sadducees. There were Zealots, and uh, occasionally there were Essenes, although most Essenes would not hold political power. They sometimes were hired as advisors and and, but then they were kind of held in contempt of other Essenes who referred to them as the lovers of soft things. So there was a, a, a lot of people, but the Pharisees were basically the, the foundation of the government. They were the predominant party at the, that the what, if you read an article, factions at the altar. Uh, they were the predominant faction. They would not want, for the most part, those guys would not have wanted to even go near somebody who had leprosy. They wouldn't want to touch him. They wouldn't want to go into his house. They wouldn't have wanted to assemble all the beams and all the rocks and all the mortar and gather it up and take it out of the town. They wouldn't want to do that. That they wouldn't want to touch it. They were they were not that kind of brave guy. And it's kind of what you see today that that uh, the politicians, they're all backbiting. They're all about power. And they're also, some of them, some of your politicians, and I'll say this, you can discount it if you want. Some of them are literally possessed by evil. You'll see it, obviously, everywhere. But it is there. That element is there. I mean, I've seen Schumer talking to himself, sitting there in his chair, not talking to anybody around him, just talking to himself, waving his hand, shooing people away. I've seen this in convalescent homes, you know, where people are shooing away the demons, waving their hands, just like Schumer was doing, sitting there in his chair, right in the Capitol building. And I, I'm not going to think by any measure that anybody else is immune to such influence or similar influence, or some influence of evil. And we'll talk about that before we get all the way through this. But this offering, and this, the, what Jesus is doing, is sending this leper to put a task before the priests that they should be doing. And also they're going to hear that uh, Jesus healed these guys just literally healed them 
by touching them. That's unheard of. But the interesting thing is in the Old Testament, they they talk about doing this ritual when a leper is healed. Well, what was healing them? Back then, were they getting antibiotics? Or, or, or what was healing them? I mean, we don't really heal leprosy. If they've already started losing limbs and skin and everything, we might be able to arrest the progress of the disease. But do we heal it? Do we make that person whole again? Well, not really. I mean, they're not going to grow back fingers and all that stuff. But the reality is something else is was going on back in those days where people were actually getting healed. And we touched a little bit about that, you know, where they talk about sprinkling blood and water and everything. I mean, that's what that that's what Louis Pasteur did. Is he took the blood from you know an animal that had smallpox and then uh, put it in a basin and filtered it off and eventually they put it in centrifuges and then they treated it. Louis Pasteur's vaccines didn't heal anybody. It didn't even really make them immune. Stimulated their systems to produce the antibodies. That's what a normal vaccine, a real vaccine, uh, is supposed to do. It's actually introducing a disease element into the body so that the body produces an antibody to protect that individual. And I know a lot of people say, oh, well, that's, you know, germ theory and and, uh, all this stuff. Well, if you're really healthy, you won't need the vaccine. I mean, most people would not have gotten the the flu virus that just went around representing itself as COVID. And most of the people who got it didn't show any symptoms. Just like most of the people who got polio didn't show any symptoms of polio, but they produced antibodies to polio before anybody came up with a vaccine. We don't really understand how all that works, but the healthier your body is, the less less stress and conflict in your body, including your tree of knowledge, which is a source of a great deal of your conflict and stress, keep your body healthy. I mean, you will get natural immunity to all the things around you that could get into you. I mean, even when you get sick from a so-called virus, it isn't the virus that made you sick. It's your body replicating the virus as if it was a part of you. It's it's stimulating something in you, and and then we we see things taking place. Like I say, what happens is your body loses its identity and begins to do things that it should not be doing. And then a part of your body recognizes that and shuts off those cells that are out of control. Does it every day. Cancer cells are, are, are devitalized every day in your body. Uh, cells that are starting to replicate stuff they shouldn't be replicating, spewing out all kinds of little exosomes they shouldn't be spewing out, messenger RNA, etc., going out of, of these cells. And your body says, well, this, this guy's out of control. He's not serving the whole body. 
And so we're going to devitalize them and let them die. And then we'll replace them with a cell that actually does what it's supposed to. And, of course, the, they, they talk about other cells that can be in your body, stem cells, that seem to have a little bit clearer programming of what your body needs. I mean, you all started from two little cells that came together, and suddenly there was this little burst of light, and, you know, the, the sperm cell was inside the egg cell, and they were one cell, and they started splitting and becoming two cells and four cells and eight cells and 16 cells, and it just kept splitting and splitting until there was a baby. And miracle of miracles, that's that's what was happening. But they all started out, how did they know to become a liver cell? And, and this one become a kidney cell, and this one become a heart cell, and this become blood vessels. And it's it's doing all this. I mean, that's just amazing. I mean, you're just taking carbon and hydrogen and a bunch of chemicals and, you know, like you, you put them in a little test tube and you shake them up and out pops a baby. Well, there, there's a design going on there. And, and people who, microbiologists who look at this, they say this, there are so many interactions in this process. It's way beyond anything anybody imagined for years and years and years. Yet, if you go way back in history, some people seem to know, just intuitively know what was going on in the human body. And see, that how much they intuitively knew, it's difficult to tell from this perspective. But I believe through Revelation, people knew a lot more than we want to believe. I've been following John uh, Berbecki talking about his series on meaning, finding meaning. And he has ideas about history that just aren't so. And he says it's not really important to his point. But he hasn't really got to his point in the series, so I don't know. But it is very important. He actually is laboring under the assumption, until we created a civil state like in Sumer and Babylon and many of these early city-states, all of which collapsed and crumbled, that it was just chaos and violence. Not so. Not so. Through Revelation, through the Tree of Life, there were people who could prevent violence. And, of course, I'm going to tie this in before we get to the end of Matthew 8. So there's a reason I mention these things. I don't always know what it is when I mention it, but in this case, I actually know where that's going. Not because I planned it out, but just because that's part of understanding this deal. Well, the other word that is in that verse is, as Moses commanded in, and we see a Greek word, uh, Prostasos, which is actually composed of two words, pro-tasso, and uh, it's translated command, but it's also bid, and there's other words, tasso shows up in a lot of other words, but it actually means to assign or ascribe, that the Levites were told to do certain things, and Jesus is quoting the Old Testament and telling people what to do based on the Old Testament, and he's telling this this leper, former leper, now healed, to go as a testimony to the priest that this way has come. Somebody 
you know, is now on the scene. And so they're getting these reports. They're not able to heal people with a touch. So when when you finally start seeing somebody healing people with a touch, not a lot of screaming and yelling and big crowds and everything, but all by themselves. That was one of the things I pointed out this morning. You get this idea, a huge crowd is just walking behind Jesus and following him. No, a lot of people we already know that John the Baptist was leading the people into a system of social welfare that operated through charity. If you have two coats and your neighbor has none, share. You do the same in meats. That's a social welfare system to help out the needy of your society through free will offerings. And that, of course, is what pure religion is. It's pure religion when you do that unspotted by the world. I mean, you're not getting any help from the constitutional orders and systems of government like that of Herod and the Pharisees, like that of Augustus Caesar, like that of Julius Caesar. You're not taking those benefits. You're taking care of one another through charity. Those people, that's the multitude that started following the way of Jesus. It wasn't just a big crowd walking around him. Otherwise, they would have seen this leper guy coming up. They would have seen him touch him, and they would have seen him heal him. They didn't. Jesus said, don't tell anybody. Well, he, he didn't do it in front of a crowd. He did this privately. But what were the 70 doing? What were the other disciples? What were all the disciples of John the Baptist doing? We're going to see later on at Ephesus, Paul runs into disciples of John the Baptist, who are preaching John the Baptist, but don't know anything about Jesus. So I don't know where they were all this time, but they don't know anything about Jesus until they hear about him from Paul, because we know Paul preached Christ first. And they were teaching people about faith, hope, and charity, because that's what John the Baptist was talking about. But now there was this other element where Jesus Christ is the son of God, the head of the social welfare system of Christianity, is not going to the men who exercise authority, the men who call themselves the fathers of the earth, not going to them for benefits, but providing all their benefits through faith, hope, and charity. This is a big deal. These... Followers of John the Baptist, they latched right on to that. They started a school, started teaching people. How many schools are teaching people this? They call themselves Christian schools. What they're teaching people is ideology. And these ideologies, you know, are going to get people in a lot of trouble because they're not really going to have the strength of the strong man nor of Christ. Because, the and Christ will even tell them, get ye from me, I know you not. So, in verse 5, it says, and when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, again, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. This guy's in a lot of trouble, palsy. You know, he, he, he's evidently in some sort of paralysis state. And, and we don't know exactly why. 
But he's saying, and Jesus saying unto him, I will come and heal him. So he tells this Roman centurion, I'll go with you and we'll heal him. And the centurion answers and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof. Because he's not a Jew. He might be a part of the Temple of Roma, built by Herod. He might be. I suspect he's not. He knows something about Jesus. So there's a lot of information wandering around about Jesus. He's the talk of the town. Everybody knows that there's a whole philosophy with the Essenes. There's a whole philosophy with with John the Baptist summed up in this idea of care for one another through charity, not through the system of Corbin of the Pharisees. And that's why I say I don't think he was a member of the Temple of Roma because the Temple of Roma was doing the same thing as the Temple of Jerusalem. They had the same system of Corbin, just a different registry, a different priests writing down your name. But so I don't, I don't think he was a part of that, but he knew enough about the difference between the two that he knew that Jesus was key to what people needed. And this is why a lot of Roman centurions knew this. So, you know, I just read a small book on Roman centurions to refresh my knowledge of Roman centurions. It wasn't a very good book, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, it had some interesting things. You know, normally a Roman centurion, you know, an officer would sign up for 18 years. Enlisted men was normally like 20 years. Uh, there was a period of time where enlistment could be extended to 25 years. But in those last five years, you would have light duty. You wouldn't be expected to make the 30-mile marches with full armor and all that stuff. They would find other things for you to do. But uh, there was, for some, the original uh, sign-up was 16 years. I had never heard that. But I don't know how long that lasted. You know, the Roman legionnaires were around for a long time. But this is all under the reforms of Marius, who is Julius Caesar's uncle. So, and this is over a period of several hundred years. But understanding those little details of history allows you to understand this this centurion, he's not just a low enlisted man. And, And he even makes it clear here uh, when Jesus says that he'll come and heal me, he says, you know, I'm not worried for you to come and heal me. Uh, but just speak the word only. And my servant shall be healed. Another guy who realizes that Jesus has an extra power over disease, over other things. I mean, if you have the power just to touch somebody or not even touch them, way over here. I'm going to heal somebody at your house. I'm not even at your house. I don't even know where your house is at. But I can heal that from here. And this guy believes that Jesus can do it. And, it. and he explains this. For I am under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go. And he goeth. And to another, come. And he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. So this is what he means by a man of authority. And and when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them 
that followed him, that were round about him at that particular time within earshot. Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great a faith. No, not in Israel. And he uses the word Israel there. He didn't say Judea, in Israel. Now, Israel's all over the place. It's not just in that geographical. Israel is all the people that are contending with this idea of understanding and knowing the truth, having an interpersonal relationship with God, which you cannot have until you know yourself, until you're honest about yourself. But let's step back here, take a peek at that verse 9, because there was a couple of things. When he says, I'm a man under authority, he uses a particular word there, which is the word exousia, or exousia. It's actually... uh, in a particular form here where, it, you know, it's a, well, let's see, was it a feminine noun? Let's see, I was trying to remember. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, uh, uh, an accusative feminine noun. And, and you, you see that with the acu- uh, exousia in, with an end on the end. But that's the same word that we find in Romans 13. That is translated power, authority, right, liberty, jurisdiction, strength. We saw it in in, uh, in Matthew 7. And because Jesus spoke with that authority. And now this guy is saying, I have this authority over men. What, what I noticed in the translation is they left out, they, did, they didn't really make an accounting of a particular word that we find in in the actual Greek text, which is the word I appoint, uh, which is uh, tasso mino. Again, there's that word tasso, but then they use a mino in there. It says, I appoint men. That, But they kind of intimate that he appointed them. He says, having soldiers under me. But he actually appointed men because this is... A, regiment of a military but he's saying to jesus that for i am a man under authority i appoint having soldiers under me and i say to this man go this way so he's equating himself to jesus that jesus doesn't have to go because he sees jesus as a man of authority and that he has authority, not just over, you know, some guy, but actually over some unseen guys. <laughs> that somehow an unseen power where he can just touch somebody and heal them. And, and Matthew's giving us this story, but evidently there's lots and lots of stories. But he's giving us these stories as an example. He just gave us the story of the leper where Jesus touches him and he instantaneously healed. And now he's giving us a story where Jesus doesn't even have to go and touch the guy and somebody is healed. That there is some sort of invisible power influencing things. Now, the guy I talked about this morning, who uh, is now an atheist and believes that we have no free will, and, you know, he's this professor at Stanford University. And, uh, you know, I, I, I listened to an interview with him and now I'm getting all kinds of things mentioning him in news feeds so they know what I listen to. 
but they don't know I disagree with them, that we do have free will. But I don't disagree with the fact that we don't have as much free will as we think. That if we make certain choices, then that determines our next choices or our, our options. Because we've, we've gone down, you know, if you, if you choose the straight way, you're going to have a certain number of choices. But if you choose the, the broad way, you're going to have a different set of choices. But really, those aren't really going to be choices. They're going to be products of the choice of going the broad way or going the narrow way, the straight way. So this is the same thing. So what we want to get to is how do we make that choice to go the straight way where we have the choice of life, even eternal life, long-lasting life, or we make the not-so-good choice, the broad choice, that leads to destruction and what is sometimes called the wrath of God, etc. But right now we see this centurion saying that he has faith that Jesus is Lord and he can heal this, his servant. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west, this is Jesus, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, that's what this is a prelude to what Jesus is going to eventually say is that the kingdom is going to be taken from this group and given to another group. And it, so the, the children of the kingdom now, at that point in time, are going to be cast out and they'll be weeping and gnashing. But somebody else is going to be let in. And Jesus is going to turn the kingdom of God, which was called Israel, over to this other group. And, of course, now that's one of the ideologies is that the Jews are, are, are always the Jews uh, because the, being a Jew is a bloodline. Even though in the New Testament it tells us that the children of Abraham are those who live by faith. It's not a bloodline. Now, a bloodline may play into some sort of prophecy, but no. If you, who is the true son? The ones who does the will of my father. And and that's, that's out of Jesus' mouth. Jesus. I'm not going with modern eschatologies. That just because if, if you could prove your bloodline, that that and whatever, I don't know what coffee goes for now, a buck fifty, two bucks, three bucks, uh, will get you a cup of coffee. Uh, but other than that, bloodline's not going to get you anything. If you're not going to do the will of the Father, you can say, Lord, Lord, till the cows come home, and it's not going to make any difference. I know a lot of people aren't going to like that. But... You, you know, what you're saying is that bloodline is going to be my salvation. Genealogies is going to be my salvation. No, it's not. Doing the will of the Father. Now, if you don't have as much free choice as I said, or as some people are intimating, how do you choose to do the will of the Father? I don't think you can do the will of the Father. I don't think you can keep the commandments without the power of the Holy Spirit operating in you. And I don't think you can get the power of the Holy Spirit until you're willing to see the light. And I don't think you're going to be willing 
to see the light until you're willing to see the darkness in your own heart. And so the more you're willing to see your own failings, your own frailty, and forgive yourself, because you can't judge yourself either. And then, but once you begin to see what is righteous, the the judgment of Jesus, the judgment of Moses, because they were telling us what was righteous and what was not righteous. So if you're judging what is righteous based on what they were telling us, and you start seeking to do that righteousness, not just know it, but to do it, actually putting it into some kind of action, you know, obviously you want it to be the action that Jesus is prescribing, that the Holy Spirit is prescribing. But you got to start somewhere. It's like learning to walk. You have to you have to first get up on your feet. You may hang on to the couch and kind of scoot along the couch <laughs> or along the coffee table. And that's that's where you start. You learn, And then eventually you might let go of the coffee table and grab onto the couch. And then eventually, before you know it, you're running all over the house. But that's that's that process of learning to follow the straight way and to go the straight way. There's also a process in learning to go the wrong way, the broad way. It will get you into trouble. Both are processes. Both can become habitual. Both can become like ruts in the road and and will make it a tendency for you to constantly return to those ruts in the road and fall back into the wide way, the broad way, the way that leads to destruction. And, of course, that's what the children of the kingdom were doing, is they did not know Moses. There were people around teaching what Moses actually said, like the Essenes. Many of the Essenes were pretty accurate in their reference to Moses, and they became some of the early Christians. But there were a lot of people that were clinging to their ideology. That was very common amongst the zealots. The zealots weren't in it for profit. Their profit was in acceptance of their ideology. If you didn't accept their ideology, they might kill you. They might invade a village like Jedi and kill all the Christians there. There's as many as they can get their hands on. They might have even killed babies. I don't know. It seems like they really wiped out people. And then they fled to Masada. It's a little foggy, but that appears to be what the case was. And then because they had wreaked havoc on those people, killing them and even killing their own children, the children of those people, they found themselves up at Masada and many of them killed their own children. They killed each other. Their wives and husbands killed each other. And then they, because when they saw the Romans were finally had made their rampart all the way up there and were burning down the gate, uh, they knew that once that fire was out, they were able to come in, have no defense. It would just been chaos. So they killed themselves. They committed suicide. Now, I think there was like 20 some odd children that they hid in a well with an old woman. And the Romans may have took pity on those children, but they were probably sold into slavery, but they might have, you know, picked a better market to sell them into. Hard to say. Uh, God's hand is in things that you can't even imagine, and we'll talk about that as we get through this. 
unto the centurion, go thy way as thou hast believed. So be it done unto thee. What you believed with conviction, not just that you accepted, but you deeply believed this deep down in your soul. How deep can you go in your soul? Well, that's back to that knowing yourself. How dark in the bottom of I mean, uh, people want, I mean, ministers get paid a lot of bucks to keep people from having to look at the darkness in their own heart. And, and you know, like Jesus loves you. Somebody, somebody was saying, you know, like, uh, oh, I can't remember the word she used. But uh, it was like uh, that Jesus loves you no matter what kind of ideology. And, and God does love you no matter what. But God's love isn't like your love. It isn't I want, you know, it isn't a lustful I want love. It's the kind of love that when he loves his enemy, it's like hot coals on their head. It's like fiery arrows at them. It scares them. It will leave. If, if they're charging at them with, on horseback, you know, coming with sharp swords and knives and spears, and Christ steps out and loves them, even their horses will rear up in fear. <laughs> and uh, they will, they will, it'll be chaos. They will tumble all over themselves. Because the love of God, the love that comes from God is a utility. It makes things live and it makes things dwindle away to death. If you won't accept the love of God as it is coming in truth and honesty, it will be like a laser beam shot at you. It will burn you. It will terrify you. Where that comes into play in this chapter. <laughs> and so... And Jesus said unto the centurion to go thy way, because you believe that the, the guy is now healed. And that that's the, the second healing that they talk about. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. So Peter's mother-in-law was sick at Peter's house. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she arose and ministered unto them. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed, possessed of devils. And he cast out the spirits with his words and healed all that were sick. So a lot of people are going to say, oh, I don't believe in demons. And I don't believe you can cast out demons. I don't believe in possession. Well, yeah, I understand that. And, and it's hard for a lot of people to believe until they actually see it. And then, of course, you can just think it's schizophrenia and all these other things that the people believe that they're possessed, so they act like they're possessed. And certainly that that is true. I'm not trying to convince you otherwise. I'm telling you what it says. And I will give you some of my thoughts on it. But you're going to have to consult the Holy Spirit to actually know, is there such a thing as possession? Is there such a thing as intense influence, which you can call possession? Is there such a thing as something actually taking over the individual? 
Well, yeah, well, take a look at all that. In verse 17, he says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of in Isaiah, the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sickness. So what he's saying is Matthew is trying to say that this is like Isaiah was saying and that he actually has this ability to heal. And most of the healing I see is not real healing. But I think that there is a way that people can be healed. And we'll go into that more because there's going to be lots of examples. Now, when Jesus saw a great multitude about him, he gave a commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, in verse 20, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. That almost sounds like a rebuke, because he's referring to one of these scribes who wants to follow Jesus, but he may not want to have no house that he can call his own. And in verse 21, and another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. So can the dead bury the dead? Well, he's saying those people who, now this probably meant more to that individual than we realize, but He's saying that this way that Jesus is preaching, which is a continuation of what John the Baptist was preaching. John the Baptist was saying that you don't take care of the needy through forced offerings. Jesus will say that over and over again. Paul will say that over and over again. But you do it through charity. If you don't have the charity to take care of the needy of your society, then, then you, you're not in the kingdom of God. You're, you're not seeking the way of Christ because this is what he was teaching. This is what John the Baptist was teaching. This is what Paul was pre- preaching and this is what Paul was doing. So it, that's essential to be the church like the first century church. And you say, well, I, well, we can't do that. We, we need to depend upon the government for our social welfare, et cetera. And even though I told you this morning that would make it a snare and a trap, and Christians wouldn't do that. But people say it's too overwhelming. I mean, it's too much. I mean, like you would have to have, you know, one, that's what somebody in Maryland once said to me. He says, we get one person with cancer and the whole church will be bankrupt. This will cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, maybe... It won't cost you anything because you can reach out and touch them and heal them. But you won't be able to do that until you know yourself, until you're willing to see the light, until you're willing to actually make the Lord the Lord. You not just say it, but actually make the Lord the Lord. And that's a process. And most people aren't doing it. Now, verse 28 Oh, we, we went too far. <laughs> I, I moved. Okay, I got to go back. 
Uh, let the dead bury the dead. Verse 23. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. So now they're entering into a ship. And behold, there arose a great in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with waves, but he was asleep. Jesus went to sleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to perish. You know, the storm was, they think the ship's going to sink. And he said unto them, why are ye fearful? Oh, ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, are these the same guys that have seen Jesus healing lepers? Of course, they didn't really. We don't know who saw him healing the lepers. This is the story we got later. But he's telling the leper not to tell anybody. So he may have been entirely alone. But he was healing all kinds of people. But, I mean, just comes in and touches Peter's mom and or mother-in-law, and she's up working right away. Wow, amazing. But they were impressed with stopping the wind. That the elements, of course, now, disease is part of the elements. It's also a weakness in your own body. But somehow or other, he was able to do something about this. And behold, they cried out, saying, what have we to do with... Oh, I jumped again. I'm jumping. Oh, I jumped verse 28. <laughs> okay. Now, this is this kind of important area in verse 28. And when he was come to the other side of the country of Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs exceeding fierce so that no man might pass by that way. These guys were a terror. They were scary. You know, it's uh, like Freddy Krueger and whoever the other guy is. <laughs> they were scary. And they referred to them as possessed with devils. Now, we talked about in China, you know, the villages that were attacked uh, by the Red Guard, and they went in there and they killed babies, and they killed women, and they killed their neighbors, etc. And, and we saw that where Hamas goes in and, and kills a bunch of uh, Israelis at a concert. They kill women. Uh, they kill babies. And, and that appears to be actually the case. I mean, then they talk about the bombing of the hospital, and it appears best evidence that uh, the Israelis did not bomb the hospital. And the the media misinterpreted what facts they had, and they didn't bother to check for what facts they could have had. But they got people, I mean, thousands and thousands of people protesting in the streets for something that didn't even happen. People probably got beat up. People got hurt for things that didn't even happen. People got hated for things that they didn't do. 
And of course, if that's your judgment, that's going to come on you. That that you're sowing seeds of dishonesty, that dishonesty will come back on you. You're sowing seeds of violence, that violence is going to come back on you. Now these guys are are possessed of devils, and I think these people go around. I mean, just the idea of killing a baby and and, and stabbing women and stuff like that this is just foreign to me. It's evidently not foreign to everybody. And so what is your protection against that kind of idea or ideology coming up in your mind? Because this is what has constantly been the company of those who have uh, socialist and communist revolutions, that they end up killing millions upon millions of people, including their own family, including the innocent, with no conscience, because their conscience are seared. And their conscience are seared I mean, you can look that up, conscience and seared, or just conscience, and then there's a section under how your conscience gets seared. If you think it's okay to send men to your neighbor's house to force them to contribute to what you want for free, that will sear your conscience. You can, you can read the Bible and, and see this over and over again, but you could just listen to philosophers and historians like Polybius that if you become accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others, you will degenerate. Your conscience will be seared and you will institute the rule of force and violence and you will kill babies. He didn't say that, but that's where it will eventually lead. And it will also, you will empower tyrants. So you want to be going the other way. You want to be assuring that you're not going that wide, broad way that leads you to destruction. In verse 29, he says, And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? At least that's the way Matthew is writing it. Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Well, Torment us, that's the evil spirits that are dwelling in the, these men, before the time. What time is that? When is that time coming? Is there? Is that on the schedule? Can I look on my calendar and see when that time is? They seem to be aware of something if this, if these verses are accurate. Just going off them, assuming that they are accurate, can we make sense out of this? Verse 30, and there was a good way off from them a herd of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, besought Jesus Christ, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. So basically, you know, based on other stories, they didn't want to be cast out into the pit. Now what's the pit? They, they wanted to be able to go into another living thing. Now, is that really how it works? I don't know. But that's what we're seeing, something referenced here. So I went back to look and see if any hands had come up. Uh, uh, or anybody ask a question? No? Okay, we'll go back. <laughs> okay. Um so now there's this herd of swine in verse 32, and he said unto them, go, 
He said, go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently toward a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. They literally committed suicide. And somehow or other, that's supposed to be better than just being cast into the pit. And I make that reference to the pit. didn't say pit here. But uh, in other references, this is what they feared, being cast into the pit. Which I guess is worse than being cast into the sea and dying as a pig. I don't know. Uh, that seemed to be their impression. But can we learn anything from that? Well, we can just put a pit in it. <laughs> Note that. And maybe it will make sense later on. And they that kept them, kept the pigs, fled and went their way into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devil. Because evidently people know about these guys. A lot of people know about these guys. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. They were kind of afraid of this. They were afraid of the guys. They seemed to be more afraid of Jesus who had this power. You know, I don't know if he could cast the demons out of Freddy Krueger. I, I, I'd want him around. <laughs> but uh, they didn't quite see that. And so they actually, it spooked them that somebody had this power over people who had evidently been menacing other people for a long period of time. And there are other stories about people that in graveyards that were possessed. Is it the same story without some of the details, whatever? Well, we'll have to look at that when we get to it. But I wanted to put this forward, and I'm going to take us down a road uh, that's going to go a little sideways here at times in order to put all this in perspective. So you have something, and I mean, I could put so many quotes in here to hinge off of what we just saw related to us by Matthew. Again, back to this idea of the leper. Jesus is sending the leper to the priest to bear witness to the priest, and the priests can do their investigation that this guy was a leper and now he's healed and how did this come about? And that he's put all kinds of things that they are supposed to do that I suspect they weren't doing because of the fact that they were living in opulent quarters and they were not actually serving the people the way they should uh, as much like your governments today because it became a government of power. When they said, if you sign up for our social welfare, we'll take care of your needy. The the people that were taking care of the needy through faith, hope, and charity became less and less and less. And we see that back in the 30s when they instituted Social Security and then later on in the 60s and they started getting all kinds of social welfare and Cloward and Piven. You can read the article on Cloward and Piven. Uh, that they began to alter the way in which the people looked at their neighbor and society. It was no longer our job to take care of somebody. If somebody came out and was 
uh, raping a woman in the streets, uh, they will pull their shades. They may now pull out their cell phones and film it, but very few people will come to their aid. I actually saw a woman being attacked in the street. I heard her yell and uh, a commotion. It was very quiet outside, and I got up, and it was cold out. And I walked out on the balcony. This was down near 30th and Nicolet in Minneapolis at an apartment there on the second floor in a fourplex. And I heard this commotion out there, and I got up. I was a pretty light sleeper. I got up and went out on the balcony and looked out there, and this this woman was fighting with a guy. And I was about to yell, and she knocked him down. She just hit him and knocked him down and kicked at him, and he kind of scampered away a little bit. And she turned around and started walking down the street, leaving him in the dust. And she got way down the street. I was about to yell, hey, and try to interfere with what was going on. And, but uh, she seemed to have taken care of the situation. But when she got down to Lake, uh, I think it was Lake, uh, it was somewhere near 30th and 31st there. And uh, she uh, was going to be turning. The guy who had started going down the street the opposite direction turned around and started following her heading for Lake as well. And But, of course, on Lake Street, there was lots of traffic. This was a side street, a couple blocks off of Nicollet, like I said. But uh, I've seen, and I, I've told stories of where I've had friends that seen where somebody's being attacked and nobody does anything. Nobody, they, they don't even, they, you know, don't, well, I've told the story about the where they, had a car and they fogged up the windows. This is in Norway. And I think it was, yeah, Norway. And they fogged up the window, one of the Scandinavian countries. And they put a guy inside the car and he had a tape recording. The tape recording was of a girl struggling against a guy who was clearly trying to rape her based on the noise that you hear. And he's playing the tape inside the car and you can't see in the car. It's a very cold night. And he's shaking the car like there's some people wrestling around in there. And she's pleading for help. And one person after another walked by the car. And they could hear what was going on. And they sped up. They didn't take out their cell phones. They didn't bang on the roof. They didn't say, hey, stop. What's going on in there? They're clearly a woman is being attacked. A young girl is being attacked. And they did nothing. And they did nothing. One person after another. And finally, two guys, after, you know, like 50 people, two guys started banging on the car, saying, what's going on in there? What's happening? And one of them actually got the door open, saw the guy in there, and dragged the guy out. The other one grabbed the guy and was kind of knocking him down, not letting him get up. And, and the first guy was looking in the car for the girl. Like, where's the girl? Well, there's no girl. It's just, it's just a tape recording. And now the guy was turning his attention towards this guy, and he was about ready to start pounding on because his buddy was wrestling with him. And the cameraman comes running out. You see him running out in front of the camera. The camera's on, on a mount somewhere. And he runs out, no, 
no, no, no, no, no. And they, they started explaining this is a social experiment. We were just trying to see who would come to the aid of the girl. Nobody did. Nobody did. Nobody did, except for these two guys. And they came to aid. And next thing you know, they're explaining this. You don't hear everything, but they're explaining it to the guys. And then they hugged the guys that finally stopped what was evidently, appeared to be, an attack and rape. And uh, because they they were so pleased that they finally found somebody who cared about their neighbor. Why was this so rare? Why is this so rare? And then it turned out they weren't Norwegian. <laughs> they were French, which is adding injury to insult. <laughs> the only person to come to their aid was Frenchmen. <laughs> so anyway, just no, no, no offense. It's just, I thought it was funny. But there was one other person that came to the aid of the supposed rape victim. And it was a woman. I think she was in her 40s, early 40s. She looked in pretty good shape. But she wasn't a very big woman. And she began to pound on the door, pound on the windows. What's going on in there? What's going on in there? And you can see her pulling out her phone. This is the day of the cell phone. And she's getting ready to call the police. She's doing something. And they ran out and they told her what was going on. And they opened the car door and they showed that there was nobody in there, it was just this guy with a tape recording, and it was a social experiment. And they were very thankful to her and appreciative of her. But of all the other people, nobody came to the aid. They have cell phones. They could call somebody with their cell phone and not get involved. I can understand a woman not wanting to, you know, because she might get beat up. She might get raped herself. But they didn't care. They didn't care. And there's been lots of social experiments like that. People don't care. Why is that? 100 years of legal charity. It, it degenerates the people. They don't have to care. That's not their job. It's a government job. I mean, just call in the police. It's not their job. But it is their job. And the kingdom, it's your job. Because Jesus condemned the Pharisees are not attending to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. If you make that your job, not out of judgment, not out of hate, not out of anger, but out of service of one to the other, the power to heal will come into you. You may not be able to do it as dramatically as Jesus did it, but if enough of you come together, that power will come together with you. But more than that, now we see in this Matthew 8, uh, verse 4, uh, this word offer. And, and it appears as prospero. Only appears in this one verse. It, it's the only place in the, the whole New Testament it appears. And it's composed of two words that specifically mean to bring or present in order that I make publicly known, Pharaoh, that's what, you know, publicly known, he was to do this in person to the priests. So this is Jesus announcing himself, this gift this that is in Leviticus. 
is to make something publicly known, to make a record of something. The word we see as gift also is daron. It is a neuter noun derived from didomi, which is, there's several different versions of this, to give. And this term daron is not just a gift. You know, a gift is anything that you sacrifice or give up. But as a term focusing on the free nature of the gift. Remember the Corbin of the Pharisees was based on forced offerings. That was now based on coercion. Now they consented to that system just like you consented to Social Security. When you pay into Social Security, that's your offering. That's your sacrifice. Of course, if you don't pay in, somebody's going to come along and coerce you into making sure that you pay in. And and you created that system all around the whole world. It's all become acceptable. It's not the door on that Christ is talking about. It's it, the free nature of the gift doesn't exist there. It's the Corbin of the Pharisees. Something caused specifically, uh, or actually something uncaused, specifically not coerced. So this is the difference between the Corbin of Christ. And the Corbin of the Pharisees. The Corbin of the Pharisees was coerced once you consented to the system, which is a covetous system, a covetous practice, but it was based on coercion. It's going to have an effect of degenerating the people, dividing the flock, so that they can't come together and stand with one another and protect. How in the world? Do sheep protect themselves out on the range with bobcats and coyotes? Well, they come together and they form a mass with 400 eyes looking out in every direction, tight together, where the coyote has to run up to, you know, he never is not, doesn't have... 10, 20 eyes visible on him. He doesn't like to, he likes to hunt in the darkness. All these guys staring at him makes him nervous, even though they're just sheep. Even, even a, a tiger in the jungle, uh, rubber tree planters or tappers go into the jungle. They were losing um, every so often because there was tigers in some of the areas and they would drop them off from a boat. They would go out and they'd tap a bunch of trees and they would collect the rubber and then they'd come back and the boat would be coming back in the evening and they would come and jump on the boat and they would have all the rubber that they had tapped out of the trees. And this is how they made a living. But then guys would disappear. And what it was is there was a tiger eating them. And so somebody came up with the idea that you take a Halloween mask or a Freddy Krueger mask (laughs) or, you know, a mask of Ronald Reagan or anybody that's a face mask. You wear it backwards. You put it on your head backwards so that you're looking backwards the same time as you're looking forward. And the tiger only wants to attack from behind. This is the theory. And it worked. They stopped losing rubber tappers because they were wearing these masks on the back of their head. And and the tiger would see the front of their face and then he'd skulk around 
and try to get around behind him. And uh, he couldn't do it because uh, the guy was looking at him from that direction too. So then he skulk around some more and he, well, he's looking this way. How can he look in so many different directions? And he's walking backwards. Well, I want to get around where he's not looking at me when I, I charge him. And it worked. And they weren't losing. And then one day they lost a rubber tapper. And, of course, they have to send out a search party for them, and it's a big hassle. But And, of course, you have to send guys out together, and you send the guys out with a gun. And eventually they track down, and they find where the guy sat down on a log in the jungle and ate his lunch. And his, some of his lunch was still there. One was on one side where he had been sitting, and on the other side on the log, was the mask. He took the mask off the back of his head. It's probably hot, sweaty. And he set it on the log. And the tiger ate him. Because he didn't have any protection. Nobody watched in the rear. So, when you start seeking the kingdom of God, those, those people under the authority of Jesus, or those entities under the authority of Jesus that... The Roman centurion seems to be referring to that I too am a man of authority and if I tell this guy to go there, he goes there. And if I tell this guy to go there, he goes there. He says, uh, I think you have that power too. Where are these guys who are going to go? <laughs> well, anyway, they're kind of unseen. But the centurion seemed to think they were there. At least that's the way the story reads. So, you know, I can believe that. I've seen a lot of things. And so I can believe that. Maybe you can't. Okay. But I'm, I'm, we're dealing with Matthew and what Matthew says. So we're trying to make sense out of what Matthew says. So anyway, in accordance, you know, I go on in the side notes and talk about in accordance with Moses and the word of Leviticus 14, uh, 10, 21, 22. We can go through all those verses. But uh, there was a purpose to getting the acceptance of the priest who sat in the seat of Moses before they knew Jesus was the healer of this leprosy. This is Jesus' introduction to them. Well, also I want to point out the fact this long, if you go read the whole of 14, try to make sense of it, ask the Holy Spirit to read it with you. But... People were getting healed back there in Leviticus by somebody. Everybody didn't seem to have that power of healing, but I think there were people who had that power of healing. And pro- But you had to have a certain mindset. And of course, today, most people look at Moses and what Moses was setting up like the Pharisees looked at Moses. As a matter of fact, our Masoretic text that we use to interpret the Hebrew is is based on a pharisaical approach. You know, like there's a lot of people who are Pharisees today. And they think that, oh, you know, like I can't have any bread with leaven in it. Of course, we have an article on leaven. That leaven means you can't have any bread, any social welfare system based on force or coercion or cruelty. That's what getting the leaven out me the leaven that makes the bread puffed up and rise that's 
that's just symbolic. That word, but it actually means cruelty. You can't use force in your social welfare system. It has to be free will offerings. If it's not free will offerings, you cut yourself off from this power to heal. So, if you want to be a man with authority and a man under authority, specifically the authority of Christ, the exousia of Christ, which is also the liberty of Christ, the jurisdiction of Christ, the kingdom of God, then you have to do it according to the ways of Jesus. You have to live according to the ways of Jesus. You have to obey the decrees of Jesus, or at least seek to, and hopefully be perfected in that doing. Jesus would eventually say that he will take the kingdom away from the Pharisees. You can read this in Matthew 21, 43. Therefore, say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation that bringeth forth fruits thereof. And of course, the amazing thing is that Jesus did this with the words of their own mouth. He eventually had it set up where out of their own mouth, they say, we have no king but Caesar. He says, well, what do you want me to do with your king here, which is King Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ? And they say, crucify him. Well, they weren't Jews anymore. They were now the synagogue of Satan. I think at that particular time, some of them weren't probably bloodline Jews anyway. And there were bloodline Jews, whatever you want to call bloodline Jews, bloodline Israelites, all over the world. I mean, some people think the Etruscans were Israelites. And and they were some of the founding people that came to the Latin uh, tribes up there and started Rome that they were probably Israelites. And some of those Israelites were the sea kings, and some of the Israelites were up there in, in Gaul. Probably some of them made it up to Germany. They are all over the place, and they had this idea about God, a monotheistic idea uh, of a single God with a single parameters of existence, although it may manifest, you know, in courage and generosity and love and all these different things we call virtues. But it's, it's, a, it's a unified God. Just like you can be courageous at times, you can be forgiving at times, you can, you can, you can have all these different characteristics, and God can have all these different correct characteristics, but they all work in conjunction with each other. So Jesus spells out the reason for this in Matthew 23, 2, where he's saying, saying to the scribes and Pharisees, sit in the in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you, observe. That observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And of course, it goes back to Leviticus, where 
the priest was going to have to do all this stuff to verify that the leper wasn't a leper anymore. Did they do that? I suspect they didn't. What they had instituted is a system of social welfare like Nimrod, like Caesar, like Pharaoh, like FDR, like LBJ, which was this Corbin of Herod and the Pharisees that was making the word of God to none effect because their free bread was full of leaven, full, full of force and cruelty that they got because they called Caesar the son of God and they called the patri, conscripti patri of the Roman Senate, they called them their father. And they applied for benefits. And we tell you in the book, That Kingdom Come, that there were, we know this is a historical record, is that that the Jews in Judea had special privileges that when Caesar sent shiploads of grain to be redistributed amongst the people, if the distribution day fell on a Jewish holiday, they could come on another day. That was written out in a proclamation of Augustus Caesar because they were going to Augustus Caesar at times for their free bread. Absolutely forbidden amongst Christians. It's actually absolutely forbidden amongst the Jews that you're not to covet your neighbor's goods. And we know that Caesar had the money to give this free bread away because he killed all of his opponents because he made war on the the Gauls and and Celts and the Cambri. Made war on them. Stole from them. Took their property. Took their lands. And therefore he had money to give away. Well, that's ill-gotten gains. Christians, Jews, should not be wanting that. Solomon allowed that. Solomon, you know, broke every rule in the book. That's That was not a part of the deal. But they, you know, just as the Pharisees turn a blind eye to the teachings of Moses, modern Christians turn a blind eye to the teachings of Jesus Christ and John the Baptist and Paul the Apostle and Peter and James. And, and, and they turn a blind eye to the gospel of the kingdom. They don't live by charity. They live by coerced offerings that are forced from the people in what could only be called public religion, was called public religion for years and years and years. So anyway, I also point out that Matthew uses kingdom of heaven in verse 11, but in Luke 13, 29, which is a similar quote, he uses the word kingdom of God. But he's talking about being thrust out. And of course in John and the other gospels we see that that even though the Jews wanted to thrust out anybody who got the baptism of Jesus Christ, they could only do that because they thrust themselves out of the kingdom of God. Because they rejected Moses and they rejected Jesus Christ. And, and now, you know, a lot of Muslims will claim that they accept Moses as a prophet and they accept Jesus as a prophet Christians will come along and make a big deal out of the fact yeah but they just think that Jesus is a prophet but they don't want to admit that he's the son of God 
well, what does it mean to be the son of God? I mean, we're all children of God. I mean, Jesus is referring to us as the children of God. He was even referring to the Pharisees as the children of God. But he was saying they were going to be out weeping and gnashing of teeth. And yet they were the children of God. But they weren't doing what God said. They weren't being the sons of God. They were being the errant sons of God, just like the prodigal son. Now, if they repented, they would re- Jesus would rejoice. I would rejoice. But if they're not going to repent, if they're going to go out and leave this, lead this wantonous, lustful life of desiring benefits from the rulers of the earth, desiring the dainties of rulers, have a great appetite for the dainties of rulers, refuse to put a knife to their throat to curb their appetite, won't sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, then they're kicked out of the kingdom of God. They're not a part of the kingdom of God. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And they're they're going to be thrust out. Ek balo. You know, balo having to do with kingdom, ek having to be out. They're out. They're out by their choice. But they don't want to see that they chose that. Because they don't want to see the truth. It's so easy to deny the truth about one thing and become blind to everything else around it. Where you can't see it anymore. You know, and so back in John nineteen fifteen, but they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? Pilate believes he's the king, the rightful king. And the chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. They're out. It's, now the church is going to be the ones who are appointed a kingdom. It's a government of God. Now, that's just heresy amongst a lot of the modern ideologists of churchanity. But churchanity has delivered you all back into the bondage of Egypt. Where you're, you're headed for a lot of trouble. You know, we're supposed to look for signs in the moon and the stars. You know, in the heavens, according to Jesus. Well, we're entering another solar max. And solar max can bring CMEs, which can cut off electricity and cut off satellites and cut us off from one another and shut down industry. We've known for years, the government has admitted that if we get hit by a Kerrigan effect CME, they will shut down power, you know, on the whole sunlit side of the earth. If we get hit several in a row, they will shut down power from here to to Moscow. And if you do that, 90% or more of the people of the world will be dead by the end of the first year. Absolutely dead. Now, I think there's a lot of other choices that are going to be put into place. We see it now in the Middle East, where they're on the verge of this war with Hamas and invading the East Bank, and you see all these unreasonable people who want to believe, oh, they bombed a hospital. Oh, no, they didn't bomb the hospital. That was the terrorists whose bomb fell into the parking lot. And it didn't, I, I mean, Time Magazine, or not Time Magazine, New York Times 
putting up pictures of this bombed out hospital. They know that's not the hospital. They're not stupid. They know. They just don't want to admit it. They, they don't want to tell the truth. And uh, they're trying to get a rise out of you. And then they successfully did get a rise out of a lot of people. And you see them demonstrating in the streets. So everyone has a choice to live by force through the wages of unrighteousness or seek to live by righteousness through faith, hope, and charity, which is love. Faith, hope, and charity, which is love. Abraham in Hebrews 11.8, it says, By faith, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise and in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, tents, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. That promise is to you, but are you living by faith? You say, oh, I'm not a part of that system. Are you a part of the system of God? That's up to you. You have to be a doer. This is what Christ is saying, that you have to be this doer. And, And people are not being the doer. They're not going the way of righteousness. They're going the way of covetous, most of them. But, you know, as we lay this out more and more so that people can see it, I know a lot of the regular listeners already have seen it. Are you sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands taking care of one another, faith, open charity? That is a lot of work. You know, I mentioned before this hospital that uh, it's not the hospital we would take over, at least theoretically it's not, but the, these uh, care homes, three of them in a row in a nearby town, somewhat nearby town, fairly recently built, abandoned. There is no convalescent home, no uh, extended care, no assisted living in the county. There was one up in North Lake County. It burned down. They were going to build another, and they just couldn't get together, kind of like a Republican Congress. Couldn't get together. Now, I was just talking to somebody about that this morning, Republican Congress. They can't pick a Speaker of the House, and they won't pick – uh, Jordan, and I guess there's other guys. I, I'm not following it that close. But supposedly there's a guy who's a candidate. He's a Democrat. They want to pick this guy who's a Democrat. He's moderate. He's moderate. Look, he's going to be third in line to the presidency. Until you pick one, the third in line to the presidency is the pro tem of the Senate, who is a Democrat. And a woman, and a liberal, and every day you go by and you don't get somebody in that office, you're leaving the country to be run by a liberal, Democrat woman from the Senate, because she's the next in line. I mean, there's the president who's stumbling around, and there's the vice president who doesn't fall over so much, but she falls over her own tongue all the time. And then, you know, I wasn't impressed with the Speaker of the House. I'm not impressed with almost any politician because none of them are preaching the kingdom. I'm impressed with Christ. 
But the Republicans are leaving themselves very vulnerable and because they can't come together. They're, they're worse than goats. They're just all over the place. But again, who elected them? It's the people. Because the people are a scattered flock. They're not coming together. Even if they knew what they could do, they don't have what it takes to come together like the sheep on the desert. But more than that, if you come together and do what Christ said, you don't have the power of God behind you. I was wondering if, uh, yeah, I, I was working on several different pages. I thought it was in in number eight. But I'm thinking it must be in number nine. Uh, I have to go way over here. Let's see. Is that in number nine? I was wondering if uh, I haven't started doing notes for number 10, but I'm not seeing the notes I was looking for for number eight. Here it is. It's in here. Maybe maybe I have two open. I don't know. Anyway, it is in here. And I wanted to get to this before we got to the end. Um, So... Anyway, uh, in verse 17, uh, it talks about in Isaiah, and I give you the chapter. uh, We could get into that, which is in Isaiah 53. uh, So that it might be fulfilled as we see in Isaiah. That's what it says in uh, verse 17, and the chapter is 53, and you can go look at that yourself. But anyway... uh, Okay, yeah, here it is. For some reason, I, I'm all, I need to darken that up so I can spot it more qu- quickly. Anyway, so I had a number of questions. Why was Jesus keeping the miracle a secret? Well, it was all about timing. And it was about bringing it to the attention of the Pharisees. Because, you know, it's, it's the same way that when Moses was in Exodus, which we talked about when we did our study on Exodus, that Moses is saying certain things to the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh is reacting to them. And he thinks he's, you know, he's making his own choice, but he's being manipulated by what Moses says. But Moses isn't saying, you know, like, watch this pendant and follow the pendant and get my instructions. (laughs) He's not hypnotizing him, but in a way he is. And of course, this is how you get this mass formation of psychosis. They're saying, be afraid, or, you know, like uh, those Israelis, uh, Zionists, they bombed a hospital and killed 500 people. All a lie. Not really true. I mean, that, that could have happened. But it's just, they don't even, you know, make up a good lie. And they just they just say so. Everybody wants to believe it. You know, like COVID is going to kill, you know, Five percent of the people, millions of people in America. I mean, the doctors down here at this hospital, which I just mentioned, they believed that they they were already looking to order body bags. They thought in our county there would be 300 people dead 
within the first month when the virus got to our county. I don't know anybody who died of COVID. I know quite a few people who died of the vaccination. Shortly, I mean, within 72 hours after they got the vaccination, they were dead. And and the head of the hospital, he just resigned this last week because he's got cancer. How many people I know now who have cancer, fully vaccinated, and they've got cancer, two cancers, three cancers, like the lady that we were taking care of. My daughter was doing the absolute care in her, her own house uh, of this lady, and it took her to the doctor, and they were worried about her cancer. She had two forms of cancer, fast-growing cancers, and the doctor said, she's not going to die of cancer. Her body was full of blood clots from one end to the other. That's what she was going to die of. Fully vaccinated. Suddenly she's got blood clots everywhere. And it started showing up just after she got vaccinated. She thought it was neuropathy in her legs and stuff. It was blood clots. And it was affecting every part of her body. And, of course, she was also then got these cancers and they were growing. And uh, she wasn't going to last long. Fully vaccinated, though. I story after story after story. I, I, I we've seen it, and, and it's exactly what uh, Luke Montagnier was saying was going to take place, and worse, still going on. It'll be going on for years to come, and they're still vaccinating small children for disease. Even though studies have come out now in South America and Europe that you had no visible sign of protection from being vaccinated. Now, of course, the people who vaccinated everybody, they're going to come out with stories to the contrary. But these are studies. They're not going to let you see this. You're not going to hear them on the news. You're going to hear, you know, that Israeli bombed a hospital. Vaccinations, you know, mRNA works. You know, I mean, how many times did they make a claim and then had to roll that back? Millions would die. No, millions that weren't going to die. They had to roll the numbers back. I mean, Anitas recently came out and said that the the amount of deaths are infinitesimal. It's less than the regular flu, but they made it seem like it was more. That was serious, especially if you didn't properly treat it. You know, a lot of people died of literally an allergy to the protein spike. They were already recovering from the flu, but then that meant that the protein spike was circulating through their system, and people were getting shortness of breath, and then they would ventilate them, and it would get worse and worse. Other doctors in other countries didn't ventilate them. They treated them with allergy medicines. Because they said, this appears to be a protein allergy, and everybody talks about a protein spike. So they treated him for allergies. Didn't lose a patient. Thousands of patients treated. And they weren't losing anybody. They saw, you know, eight days after the original infection, when the patient was recovering, suddenly they were reporting this shortness of breath. They treated him with allergy medicines for a couple of, uh, for a week or so, and they got better. And they survived. This is going on. And instead of sharing that information, which is what the World Health Organization is supposed to be doing, they suppressed it. Well, the Pope and Billy Graham 
And Franklin Graham is supposed to be telling you that if you don't live by faith, hope, and charity, if you choose to live by force, fear, and fealty, if you choose to live by the benefits of rulers that exercise authority one over the other, you're not going to receive the power of Christ. In Luke 11:20, this is what I wanted to read you. But if, if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor, wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth. Okay, what's happening in the Middle East? You got Iran moving towards getting nuclear weapons, thanks to the United States, thanks to the apathy of Americans who have betrayed the honest people that are in Israel, betrayed the own honest people in America. And the honest people in America are not honest enough to see that they are a scattered flock. They think they're going to vote a different king in and get a different result. When you voted Saul in, what happened? He took and took and took and took and took. When you voted David in, he took and took and took, but occasionally he repented. But when Solomon got in, it wasn't long before you were so divided that he was returning you to the bondage of Egypt, creating a Corby system. Jews admitted that over and over again in all kinds of, and you can see it, where he's taking 20,000 laborers out of the people that they just have to go work for Solomon. They returned in the bondage of Egypt. FDR returned you to the bondage of Egypt. You all signed up. You gave consent. And your preachers, there were preachers back then who were saying that, no, we can't go this way because it's the bondage of Egypt. Because it's not hard to figure out. If 10%, of course, now it didn't start out with 20% of your labor. It started out with like 3% of your labor. But then, well, actually, I think it's like 1.5%. And, and you could make enough to buy three homes before you owed any income tax. But then, what does it say? Creep in? <laughs> Unawares? And now you're worse than the bondage of Egypt. And your children are surety for debt. You've cursed your children with debt. You've abandoned the ways of Christ 50 years ago. 100 years ago, if you count public education. And you're wondering why you're in trouble. Because you haven't been living by faith. Now, you can change that. You can repent. You can sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, form congregations, Start contributing, casting your bread upon the waters to those local congregations and ministers that are recognized by other ministers. Start forming that network that Christ was working on for years 
John the Baptist had done a lot of the preliminary work. The 70 were out there doing, teaching this to everybody. They still had a remembrance of gathering in groups of 10 families. Because at that time, the synagogues were still 10 families. Now, many of the Romans had lost track of this, especially when Caesar's uncle changed the way the military operated. They They had no more militia. Now they only had a professional army. But, you know, it's been one step away, one more step away, one more step away until you're out in the wilderness and you have no way back. Who today is your benefactor? Who exercises authority? Who is the benefactor that exercises love? Well, there's not one. It's everybody who's willing to sit down and live by love. Because remember the same word for charity, same word in the Greek for love. But it's not a love like what I want. I love my benefits. It's I love to, and I'm thankful for the opportunity of giving. But I want to give wisely. So I have to gather and then choose who I'm going to give to. And give to the Red Cross. I don't think that's the answer. I don't think they operate. I mean, they do a lot of nice stuff. But if the head of the Red Cross is making, what, 300000 400000 that was one of the things at the hospital down here. They have those three buildings that are available that you can start taking care of elderly and start taking – we actually have a clinic already built by the county, and nobody's occupying it. There's somebody who's – that, that the locals have put up $100,000 so that they could get, uh, was it, a nurse practitioner. I think they're licensed as a nurse practitioner. And the county will give them a clinic. They have to put together a business plan. They'll give them a clinic, all, and they will maintain the building. There's x-ray machines in there and everything. But they have to preserve a business plan to open up that clinic and there's all kinds of medical records of the people that used to go to that clinic, and they still live there. You can actually, once you're a doctor in there, you can open it up, open up the records, and find out what are the top three things that people needed help with. Now, they've had people in there before that overprescribed certain medications. I would hope we could get somebody there that isn't going to do that. They're They're going to do things differently in a different way. And so I would hope that we could get somebody in there because the other person, they've had months and months and months to get their act together and they're not getting it together. Maybe somebody else is a nurse practitioner. We can get them into there. Meanwhile, we could do the same thing down at the other end of the county. The least vaccinated county in the state of Oregon. The most conservative county in the state of Oregon. And amongst all those people, there might be a handful of Christians. <laughs> Who knows? But God is giving us this opportunity where we can get our foot in the door. But I mean, who would I give it to? People who are sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands or people who who are more interested in going out and burying their father? Or, you know, I, I will come and follow you, Christ, but I got to go do this first. No, you got to start following Christ first. And anyway, the, the head of the hospital down there has resigned because he's got cancer. 
and the guy who's probably next in place to take over in the interim doesn't want that job because his family actually lives in another part of the country. He was brought there to help make the hospital more solvent because it's it's been mismanaged. I can't say it any other way. It's been mismanaged because people live in darkness and they couldn't see that all these things that they were doing for COVID. Now, there's a, a lot more going on behind the scenes, but I'm not telling you on the radio. I'm just saying the possibilities are everywhere. There's possibilities in Texas. There's possibilities in Oklahoma. There's possibilities in Idaho. There's possibilities all over the place. And the more places we start going back to the kingdom principles of Christ, learning to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity, the more we will tap into that power that can not only bring healing, but bring protection for when the strong man is bound. You're going to need the finger of God to protect you. So anyway, I'm looking here. Uh, nobody's hand is raised. Uh, let's see. Don't see any questions in the chat room. And uh, we only got 49 minutes left. So I've gone over my two hours. <laughs> but we also got through with uh, that. And when I cut out all the fumbling around, I did. We'll get it straight. But uh, I'll give everybody, anybody wants to raise their hand or ask a question in the chat room, they got a little bit of time to do it. I'm uh, looking at, oh, so, okay. Yes, uh, the, one of the people in the chat room is competent at math. Well, that was a kind of, while I'm waiting to see if anybody wants to call in, or I'll give you the number, 319-527-6208. Uh, you can call in that number. I'll give it again in a second. And then you press one, I'll see your hand raise, and I will take a question before we close down. But I'm probably not going to go all the way to the end, but it just depends on how good a question you ask. So anyway, here's the number one more time, 319-527-6208, 319-527-6208. So you call in that number and uh, press one. And I'll see your hand raised up, and I will make your mic go live and answer your question. So anyway, uh, I'll just tell you a story is that uh, this, uh, one of my uh, uh, – somebody I know put a picture of the workbook and the, the – what do you call it? New math, uh, core, common core math book. Uh, up and showed the problem, and it was just so convoluted. Like, that isn't even a rational way to answer this problem. And so, uh, yeah, I went out and looked at the school books that I had for my kids, which were all old-used school books, and I pulled up one that was from 1965, which isn't that long ago. I mean, I was still in school in 1965, and uh, I I pulled it up and I, I photographed a page and I put that up on the little private conversation going on. And 
some other young people who were on that saw that page and they said, well, that was a pretty good problem, but it's not, it's not as, as complicated as the one that they were looking at uh, in, in this Common Core book. And I says, well, that's because you're looking at a fifth grade Common Core book, but I just sent you a third grade 1965 math book. And then they go, oh, oh, well, then that's pretty sophisticated <laughs> for a third grade. And I actually have, that was 65. I have another one from 1934. And the problems in that book are uh, way harder than the ones in the 1965. They're both third grade books, way harder than the ones in the 1965 book. So they were dumbing us down in 1934. And of course, if you read our article on schools as tools, they were dumbing us down from about 1908 on. And maybe even I find record of it even earlier, where they were asking the kids to do less. I mean, uh, I can I can give you 1945 eighth grade math problems uh, that, you know, which is, what is that, a 12-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old? And uh, those uh, problems can't be solved by high school graduates today. And it's from an eighth grade 1945 book. I can take you back the, to the reading books for 1920s. You had to have a higher vocabulary in the lower grades, like third grade and fourth grade than you had to have in fifth, sixth, seventh, and even eighth grade. And in reality, like I said, in the school schools that we, uh, in Oregon now, they came out and they said to, you do not have to be proficient in math or reading to graduate from high school in Oregon. To require proficiency in math and reading skills would be racist. <laughs> How is that going to help? Uh, I, don't, I don't know what race they're talking about. Brown people, black people, whatever. How is it racist to give them standards of math and reading so they'll be prepared to go out in the world? I can give you a seventh grade and eighth grade math books that if you can get to those, you could go out and get a job with a machinist, with a company because you will have, I mean, it's amazing the problems that they were expecting people to solve. And it doesn't even have a grade on it, but I know it was around eighth or ninth grade, seventh, eighth or ninth grade that you could start that book because it goes through every type of problem, every type of geometry, every type of algebra to give you a working knowledge. I mean, the book is full of pictures of machinery and, and machinists working on lathes and and the problems are, you know, how do you solve this? And, and and it's for kids. It's for kids who are about, and it says at the beginning, who are about to enter the job force. And they weren't expecting them to make it to the 12th grade. I can show you math books that go back. I mean, go back. Uh, I was trying to think of where is that math book? It's around somewhere. Oh, I've got 1911 books here. That, that go cover you through all of algebra, all of trigonometry and everything. One book 
as well as history. It was called the Volume Library. Yeah, there I see it right there on the shelf. I actually have multiple copies of that. I only see the one. I have one in really good condition. Have uh, I sold these books on eBay? Oh, that maybe the other one is up there. I'm not sure where it's at. Used to be right next to that one. Maybe I've. Oh, I probably put it in behind me. But anyway, uh, yeah, excellent school books. Take your kid from kindergarten to high school. One book. It's a thick book. It's like a big, thick dictionary. Small print. Uh, they've dumbed your kids down. They're doing them a disservice. And, and they just crept in with this. And nobody's doing anything about it. We could actually, if, if we took over one of those buildings, uh, we have 12 patient rooms plus other rooms in each building. And if we couldn't fill them up with patients, we could bring in homeschoolers into the other one. Sometimes, you know, like once a week. Most of the time they're at home. And tutor them in classes. And start bringing in people for all kinds of things. And uh, I won't get into all the stuff. I mean, actually, uh, there's a possibility we can teach you to become a nurse it, it, working in conjunction with the hospital because that's I won't go into all the details I don't know how much I can share with you but I have inside information all the way back I will share with the ministers but the potential for all kinds of opportunities because this is not the only hospital that's in trouble now do I really want to run a hospital do I really want to run a, a care home well, not like they were, but uh, I want to provide services for people in a way that really help people, really heal people, and show them alternatives. I mean, most of the problems that people have physically has to do with the, their diet or either their poor diet or their poor habits, and nobody knows health uh, or healing. They know medicine. And but there's we want to teach people how to be independent. We want to people teach people how to have life more abundant. And of course, we know in order to have life more abundant, you have to lay down your life for your fellow man. So this could be an opportunity in which we could do that. But you have to. Everybody should join a congregation. I don't care how far apart you are. It's not about meeting every week. It's about seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I hope I have given you a little bit better picture. But I don't see any hands raised. I don't see any questions coming in with the name Gregory right before it. So Snowman James is on the Lewis and Clark Bridge in Columbia River. On the Washington State side. So I, I'm curious as to who Snowman James is. <laughs> I've seen the, this picture many times. But uh, anyway, he's got me guessing. I don't know. He's playing with me. Horrible picture you put up. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll sign out. I'll cut all this out because I don't want it going out too publicly. But uh, some of you have been very patient. 
look at the numbers. I know we just lost somebody in the queue, but there's still several people in the queue. But anyway, thanks, everybody, for coming. I'm going to go rest my voice and do a few chores and uh, maybe start editing audios. And until then, peace on your house. And may God be with you. God bless. Thanks for coming. Now I see one more guy come in here. If you if you have a question. Oh, no, he's gone. Okay. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Your show will go live in five. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.